that, as you can probably tell, is the teaser for the movie Alien. And my name is Garen Daly, and we are here for Boston Sci-Fi Presents. And today, this podcast is all about the four films that we're announcing for the marathon. And if you don't know what the marathon is, let me just give you a quick uh, uh, download on that so that you understand what we're talking about. The marathon is one of our signature events for the Boston Science Fiction Film Festival. It starts on noon on the 19th and runs for 24 hours. And today, we're in this podcast, I'm with Audrey Fox, and we're going to be talking about four of the films that we are announcing for the marathon. There'll be another nine films announced later on. But Audrey, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Um, so welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Well, for those of you who don't know Audrey, Audrey is a writer for Slash Film. She's also a member of Boston Society of Film Critics. And she's a woman about town. And uh, rumor has it that although science fiction may not be her number one genre, it is one of those genres that she absolutely enjoys. And But have you seen Alien, correct? I have seen Alien, yeah. Okay, and, and what do you think about that as a film? I mean, it's it's really, it's good. Um, the sense of dread that it builds, the doom, um, I think it's uh, amazing. I saw it not so long ago for the first time, only a few years ago, which... Um, was kind of a little late in my life to see it for the first time, but I love it. I think it's really good. You know, that's an interesting thing. You know, when you discover a film that's been out for like 20 or 30 years, do you still find that you get that sense of excitement when you're starting to see something that may be a little dated in some ways, or the technical stuff may not be as smooth as it is now with all the CGI stuff? So sometimes I think for Alien, a, a lot of it still works. The funny thing about it is that that quintessential scene, um, you know, the chestburster scene, I had seen Spaceballs years before I saw Alien, which has the spoof of it where he's, he comes out and he's got a little top hat on and he's dancing. And yeah. so, I mean, but I think it's a testament to the film Alien, how well it still works even having that memory in my head of it. Like it's still, it still got me, still made me jump a little bit. So well, yeah. we're going to talk a little bit more about alien when a little later in the podcast. Um, but I wanted to talk a little before we started about the marathon itself. Um, I, I don't think you've had a chance to attend the marathon. Have you? I have not. I have not been to a lot of um, in-person film festivals in Boston yet. I haven't been here that long. Okay. Well, it, it, it's it's really a big binge view. I mean, when we started off 48 years ago, we never said binge view. You know, we just said 24 hours continuous. And I can tell you, I've been doing this for so long that I know that there are 1,440 minutes in a 24-hour period. And when you're planning the, the, the marathon, you have to account for every single minute. Uh, but it's like a binge view. And, and, you know, the whole concept that we now have a society of binge viewers is really, you know, kind of interesting where we have to watch all this stuff and we stay up late and we lose sleep and we eat. I mean, have you binge viewed before? Oh yeah, I've done I've done 24-hour movie marathons in the comfort of my own home, which is different. Um, but yeah, it's it's like a commitment. Um, and I, but I feel like when you do it especially when it's themed, you kind of pick up on so many more trends and like different things that you didn't notice before watching it all at once. 
Wow. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I think the one thing that I love about the, the marathon is that it really becomes a community. I mean, as, as one one of the waggish people once told me, it says it's like Brigadoon, where all of a sudden, you know, there's you know, you're in the midst of the typically lousy New England weather. But for one day, this little village joins together in a theater and people who have seen each other only, you know, for, have known each other for 40 years, but have only seen each other for 40 days, come together and have this ex this communal experience of watching films, talking about films, getting overtired. And then, of course, by about four or five o'clock in the morning, when the, everyone has been sitting in there for so long, the place gets a little stinky. And, you know, it's it's quite it's. It's, it's a palpable experience at that point. But be, be, you know, before we talk about Alien and that, you know, uh, one of the films that we're announcing here is Roland Emmert's uh, Stargate from 1994. And here, here's a clip. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about that film. He goes, what a rush. <laughs> um, yeah, there's so much that I, that I want to say. First of all, there's James Spader with hair. You know, he doesn't yeah. have hair anymore. I mean, so it's that, that old. Uh, you know, did, you've seen the film, correct? I have, yes. And what did you think? Um, I mean, it's fun. It's a, it's a wild ride. Um, James Spader as like a, a nerdy academic type is... It's an interesting choice, but I am I'm, I'm willing to go along with it. It's fun. Good music, really good score. You know, actually, I was that that's that's a good point because I was thinking that as I was listening to the the, the sound design was really good. I mean, you know, you heard it, it was sharp and it was clear, and you understand that 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 little gurgling sound when he went. Yeah, I actually hate the squelchy noise, but everything else about like bleh, it gets me. What, what is what is it about this? What is it about the squelchy noise? Just like when he sticks his face into yeah into the gate, like that noise. I I don't know, it gets me. It's, but it's, 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 it's something in your background. I mean, have you gone into a Stargate before and you just yep. like that sound? Yeah, you know, I didn't want to talk about this, but yes, I have gone through a Stargate before. Um, very traumatic experience. Um, and yeah, the squelchy noise lingers in my head. You know, when I was doing my research, I, uh, uh, I this, a Stargate is just the entrance to a wormhole. And, that, and I, I thought that was kind of interesting that there was a distinction between that 
because I love I love the nerdy kind of stuff every once in a while. That and that the actual name is called the uh, Einstein Rosen Bridge, and I didn't know that. Oh, I've I, heard of that before, but yeah. I didn't connect the two. Yeah. So, anyways, um, and I, and I always look for little pieces of trivia that I love to share about a film, and the one that I found is is that. The uh, entrance for the, uh, the the place where they had the Stargate, the, the military thing, was a actual NORAD mountain, and they used that same one in War Games. I mean, again, oh. you, do you remember War Games with Matthew Broderick? Yeah, 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 Not definitely. Play a game. <laughs> That's it. Does look familiar? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so that those are my little trivia's. The other one that it was that 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 was interesting about this film is that Jay Davison had only made uh, one other film, and that was Crying Game. And uh, wow. he, she, was was looking to kind of rehabilitate her uh, acting career, and, and um, they, they made this film, and then uh, she retired. Uh, and that was the last we ever heard of Jay Davison. At least, I, mean, I think there was like one short that, that, that they may have done after that, but I, I don't know about that. But it's 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 also interesting is that when they first tested the film uh it tested really badly and so what they did was they um they started putting the subtitles in for the space language the alien language and that really kind of made it a little better but it's it's kind of interesting and you know roland emmerich is not what i consider to be an auteur i mean I mean, ID4, Independence Day, you know, is probably his other great film, but he did Moonfall. I mean, did you see Moonfall? He definitely has a type. He has a style. Um, oh, well, so I okay. guess you could say what, that, what, but... What, what do you think the type is? Schlock? I mean, it's like an epic adventure, big budget, kind of schlocky. Yeah. Popcorn film. Yeah, popcorn films, disaster movies, stuff like that. Do you like those? They're fun. They have their place. Uh-huh. They're, they're they're a nice summer movie. Or when if you know, if you just want to like zone out and watch something that has no no real challenge to you as a, as a film watcher. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, if you just want to kick back, enjoy some things, blow up. Uh, yeah, it's fun. You know, it's. Um, it, that kind of leads into our, our next film, which is actually uh, directed by William Cameron Menzies. And I don't know if you know anything about William Cameron Menzies, but really interesting career. Uh, he made his bones when he did the uh, the set design for the 1924 Thief of Baghdad. And everyone, it's still considered one of the great sets designs. In the, and this is uh, of all time. And this 1936 mm. film is called Things to Come, based on the H.G. Wells story. And that story came out in 1923. And so that's the 100th anniversary of the H.G. Wells story, The Shape of Things to Come. And here is a clip from that movie from 1936. Clumsy great things, our boys will have them down in no time. They're too clumsy. 
down, coward. But they can't be dead that we have hostages. The hostages? I'm not done yet. Go on, Petra, bring them out here, out in the open, turn up where they can be seen. Where's the other fellow? He's the prize hostage. He's the best of the lot. They'll know him. Fetch him, fetch him. Again, you know, it's it's one of those films where you start looking at it and you go, oh, it doesn't, it kind of looks dated. But then when you get into it, you start realizing there's a lot going on here that you, that it's thoughtful. I mean, the idea of putting out hostages to prevent people from attacking is something we're seeing now again in a, in a modern world. And when I was looking at that, I kept thinking of Ukraine, uh, you know, that, that destroyed villages and towns. And that that's really where the, the film really germinated from was from world war one and it is between that that space between world war one and world war two um so uh, what did you think of that clip um i mean i've seen this movie a few times it's it like yes it's parts that are dated um but it's also like incredibly prescient like the things that it is able to predict not even just like specific technological things but just kind of moods and um, I mean, this movie comes out obviously before World War II kicks off in earnest, but there's obviously rumblings, and um, it's it, like the I, looking at those images and thinking about the Blitz and all of that stuff. It's like wow, um, it's it's pretty incredible to think about this interwar period and uh, how everybody was grappling with the ideas of the future and. I don't even think they knew whether they had optimism or cynicism about what was going to happen because it kind of goes back and forth a lot in this movie. Yeah, it, it really does. And, you know, the, uh, the fact that he wrote this in 1923 and they made it into a movie and HG Wells wrote the script. So it's, it's not, you know, Ooh. it's not like he, they, they, someone else adapted it. So he did that. And you got William Cameron, Cameron Manzi who had this long history. I mean, Cameron Menzies did the set design for Gone with the Wind. Um, he did uh, Invaders from Mars. He directed that. So, I mean, he had this long career that was really impressive. And I think this is one of the centerpieces of his career. Uh, and I think it's going to be, I th again, I like the idea that you said it was present because I think it is present, especially with what's going on in the world now when people are having insurrections for fake things and stuff like that. Uh, it's, it's kind of depressing in one way, but also... Exciting that someone was thinking about that before us. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I think it is. It really, really taps into just a very specific mood, and um, I love it. I think it's really good. Well, you know that that's that's. I mean, there's always been a part of cinema that dealt with dealing with the issues at hand or the issues as we see them. I mean, it was one thing with things to come. And in our next movie, it, it takes it to another kind of different level, but it's still there. And that is Godzilla. And here's a clip from Godzilla. Surging up from the depths of the sea on a tidal wave of terror to wreak vengeance on mankind. Godzilla, king of the monsters. It's alive. A gigantic beast. Docking the earth, crushing all before us in a cyclonic cavalcade of electrifying horror, raging through the streets on a rampage of total destruction. Godzilla, king of the monsters, incredible titan of terror, wiping out a city of six million in a holocaust of flame. Jet flames cannot destroy it, bombs cannot kill it, 
all modern weapons fail. Is this the end of our civilization? Can the scientists of the world find a way to stop this creature? For the answer, see Godzilla, King of the Monsters. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. A tale to stun the mind. Okay, for those of us who are people who are listening and or watching this, we don't know whether or not we have the Raymond Burr version of Godzilla or we have the original Gojiro. I think we have the original Gojiro, but I'm not sure. So please excuse if it's for showing Raymond Burr uh, on that, on that, uh, that piece there. Um, I mean, obviously everyone knows that this is a film that is about the nuclear holocaust uh, and the attack on uh, Japan with, at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, as well as the Lucky Dragon. Now, a lot of people don't know about the Lucky Dragon, but the Lucky Dragon was, and if you recall at the beginning of the film, there is a boat that gets, you know, gets, uh, gets in trouble with, with Godzilla and, and the radiation. And there really was a boat called the Lucky Dra Dragon that wandered into a, a U.S. nuclear test in the Pacific and got irritated, and two of the crewmen died almost immediately afterwards, and that was in 1954. Uh, so there is, there is that, that's the setting for it. So Godzilla is a metaphor for, for, for not nuclear power gone amok. Um, I mean, do you agree with that, uh, Audrey? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's really, I've only seen the original Japanese version. Um, but I, I think it's really interesting thinking about like 1950s science fiction is so much about just anxiety, fear, like what everybody's fearing. And I think in the US, a lot of that is paranoia about the Cold War and like strangers and people who aren't who they seem like they are. And, you know, aliens pretending to be humans um, as a metaphor for like Russian spies. But in Japan, it's like, the anxiety is incredibly real because it's it's like they were constantly caught up with radiation issues where, you know, the U.S. is testing um, H-bombs and then they're having to worry about whether the fish that they're catching is safe to eat. It's like all incredibly real stuff. Like that's setting aside, obviously, the actual bombs that were dropped on them during World War II. Um, so, yeah, I think it's incredibly powerful how much it taps into all of that. And I mean, it's definitely not subtle that that's that this is a morality tale about the dangers of nuclear testing. But it's it's really powerful, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. And I think it's I think it holds up. I mean, yes, obviously, the, the you know, the the animation or the uh, the pseudimation where the guy is in the rubber suit really doesn't, you know, it's not realistic. It's something that we really can't, you know, uh, fault them for. They just didn't have the technology back then to be able to do it. And I think, you know what? It's kind of interesting that all the iterations that they've done of Godzilla and after that, and with the increases of the CGI stuff, still does not have the emotional impact of the original. I mean, I, at least I don't think so. I mean, it's, it's kind of like an exercise rather than a statement. Yeah. And I think there's something about the fact that he is so kind of like weird looking like he's not smooth and he's he's kind of lumpy and he he does look you know deformed and like he is the product of you know just being in a cesspool in the bottom of the ocean filled with radiation um so i think the fact that he's a little a little janky looking actually works in the original's favor well i mean again when, when i did my research for this this piece i was thinking 
I, I, I found out what does Gojiro mean, and it's, it's, it's a combination of two Japanese words. One is gorilla and the other is whale. Um, and he's the first kaiju, which is, mm. you know, that's interesting because it's, and, and then how kaiju has become, you know, very specific in what, what, what they mean and how they have. It. So these monsters actually have meaning that transcend the, the film itself. Uh, it's, it's, it's a really interesting genre. I find, you know, it's, and I love, that's what I love about them. Kaiju are fun and they're interesting. So um, I'm trying to think if there's any other little pieces of thing. Oh, did you know? <laughs> and again, this is me being a trivia nut. nut and it's like, it, it gets, it bites me every once in a while. There's actually a, 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 a Hollywood Walk of Fame Godzilla piece. I did not know that. I just want to know. I, I just want to know, how did they get the footprints? I mean, I just, the, the, I mean, how big is that footprint, you know? It's just the guy who wore the suit. It's it's very anticlimactic when you go. It's just a pair of shoes. Um, oh. I have no idea. Um, I will have to look for that next time I'm in LA. I'll have to keep an eye out. Do, do, you, do you actually go on the Walk of Fame and check out the people's names? I've been there because sometimes there's like screenings at the at the Egyptian theater, at the Chinese theater. Um, And so you're kind of in that area. There's usually like tons of people there. So it's hard to actually see. Um, But now that I know Godzilla's there, I'm definitely going to keep an eye out. They must have it notated someplace so they can go right to it and just check it out, you know? Yeah, I mean, they should. Um, I I wonder if they have one for our next Xenomorph. Uh, And this is the the fourth film in our our list. So far we've got Godzilla, Shape of Things, or Things to Come, and Stargate as films that are going to be in the marathon. Then the next film that we're going to be talking about is, you know, uh, Ridley Scott's 1979 Alien. And here is that clip that you referenced earlier on in the show. The food ain't that bad, thinking when I see that scene, and this is me being a sick, sick, sick little puppy. I keep thinking of Meg Ryan and when Harry met Sally and, you know, her, you know, after doing her orgasm, Billy Crystal's mother-in-law goes, I'll have what she's having. It's like, oh yeah, but that's, that's, that, that's probably not a good thing to do, huh? <laughs> They're basically the same scene. They're basically the same scene, you know? Anyway, so it's it's it, it, you know, I was a little uh, hesitant when uh, Ian Judge, who is our cu- classic curator, uh, uh, curator for and, and books all the films for the marathon. I was a little you know 
thinking, you know, well, I don't know about Alien. Maybe we should be doing Aliens instead. And then when I saw the trailer, and then when I saw the that piece, then I'm going, you know, I haven't seen it in a long time. It really does look like a really good haunted house sci-fi film, you know? Because that's really, I think it's just more of a, I've always thought of it as a haunted house. That's a good point. It is. It's very, like, insular, isolated. Yeah. But a great, but a great cast. I mean, you know, you've got Sigourney Weaver, John Hurt, Yafet Koto, who I always love watching Yafet Koto. Um, you know, Ian Holm, who was, you know, a great British actor. Veronica Cartwright, you know, uh, Harry Dean Stanton, uh, Tom Skerritt, and of course, Jonesy the Cat. Jonesy. They're all such babies, too. When you, in that clip, when you see them, they're so young. They are young. They're just little it's, guys. It's one of the nice things about film. People look young. Um, you know, so it's, 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 uh, that's, that's all really good. Um, but have you, did, have you ever seen that meme that, that's out there about the, uh, uh, you know, what really happened in Alien. And it's it's a picture of the background of Alien with Jones the cat with the alien in his mouth, a little alien and walking back. <laughs> I love it. I love that cat. I, I think everybody loves that cat. But, I don't, yeah. you know, you keep going, why is she going back for that cat? You know, there's an alien there. Why are you going back for that cat? You know, get rid of the cat. You'll you save your cat. You save your cat. That's what you do. That's the move. That's why she's the hero. Um, yeah. But, I, you know, I wonder, is is there anything of depth to Alien other than it's a really well-made, well-acted, good special effects? I mean, again, 1979, the special effects are pretty pretty solid. Um, I mean, is there anything like, you know, what what's in uh, Godzilla or The Shape of or The Things to Come? Is, is there a a... a, a, a meaty theme somewhere in there um i mean i think i think like the idea of like the contagion element of it is always something that that gets people um it's a little early for it to be uh relevant to like the aids crisis but um i i don't know i mean i don't know if there's like a socio-political theme that it ties into um but yeah, not sure. It's I. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not sure either. And, and when I always think about that, I say, and and you and you just brought it up as well. It's like I, I wonder if there is something in the the zeitgeist of the moment that made that film popular, because I don't think that people went into it thinking that this was going to be a popular film. I don't think they were going to think it was going to be a Star Wars kind of thing where it's a space opera. This is horror in space. I mean, when, when the tagline is no one in space, no one can hear you scream. I mean, they're, they're going after the horror crowd. Yeah. And I think when I, when I try to think about stuff like that, I always uh, think about what else was coming out at the time in both genres. And to my mind, I think the horror genre late seventies is a lot of slashers and sci-fi space movies it's it's more you know action adventure star wars stuff like yeah. that so i think what makes it you know really unique is the fact that it blends those two elements and yeah like you were saying that people weren't expecting the horror part of it um i don't think people knew really what to do with that like it was i think it was definitely pretty surprising so 
You know, and but you know, in 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 my uh, view of horror, you know, which is again an, is undergoing another renaissance right now, where it's the only thing that's doing you know money at the box office besides these big, big, huge films like Avatar: Way of Water and things like that. I mean, Megan just opened up to some really nice numbers, and people were really surprised with that. But there are waves within the horror genre that uh, indicate where we are in the zeitgeist. I mean, for instance. You know, you, you were talking about the slasher movies of the, uh, you know, the, the 80s and 90s. Uh, I think that indicated some sort of fear there was. And then after that came, it was the, the zombie films and, you know, the, the, the people becoming infected by the blood. And that was an HIV kind of thing. Uh, and then it changes. It keeps changing. So, I mean, horror goes through these phases, but it remains relatively constant in, in terms of box office and how people respond to it. And there's always a crowd that enjoys horror films. Yeah. And I think the crowd is exactly the point. Um, I think right now people are doing that calculus in their head of what movie do I need to see in the theaters? I think rom-coms are having a hard time in theaters because it's very easy to watch a romantic comedy in your living room. Um, It's easy to watch a period drama in your living room. Um, But I think horror movies really benefit from that communal viewing experience. And so I think that's why they're still be they're very successful at the box office right now is because people still want to see a horror movie with a crowd. And I think that's also true of, you know, some of the really big, you know, like Avatar stuff like that. It's it's like people want to see that on the huge screen with 100 people around them. You know, you you, one of the things I love about our marathon, which, again, is on February uh, uh, 19th through the 20th, and it's 24 hours. Uh, and tickets are at sale at bostonsci-fi.com. See how I just kind of like brought that plug right in there. Um, <laughs> is the fact that it's it, it, it's very much a community uh, situation. And it, it is, you're enjoying it with the community. And, you know, it's, it, yes, you can have that in your living room, but coming there with hundreds, hundreds of people who are enjoying the whole thing. And, you know, at at the marathon, we have all sorts of, you know, idiosyncratic community sayings and stuff like that. I mean, you know, uh, everyone, you know, we start off with, a you know, Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century, and everyone knows every single word of that. It's it's kind of amazing. We, you know, we've started this uh, tradition about four years ago of having a sing-along to start the show. And we have uh, a wonderful guy by the name of Perry Persoff, who is a DJ at WUMB. And he comes in and he has it. We have a bouncing ball and the whole thing on the screen. And we're playing and everyone sings along. And it's really a, just a wonderful, authentic community. And it's it's and I think horror films and science fiction, those two genres have a tendency to bring people together for that communal event. And it's a little nerdy. It's that energy, that energy of having everybody together, all vibing on the same thing. It's it's you can't replicate that anywhere else. Uh, oh, one last little bit, because, you know, again, you know, we'll do this again sometime because um, we're wrapping up now. But, you know, uh, I will always bring little bits of trivia. So in Alien, we all know that the, the alien was formed by H. Uh, was it H. H. Garger, H. R. Garger, uh, Giger. Uh, I'm sure I pronounced that wrong and everyone will yell at me. Um, but in uh, the opening, one of the scenes where John Hurt is uh, attacked by the egg and it's, it's in, there's some blue lasers in the background. I don't know if you remember that scene at all, but mm. those blue lasers 
came from the Who, who were using it in their concert. And so Ridley Scott went over to them and asked them for the use of it. I think that's interesting. Kind of cool. Yeah, yeah I love fun. that stuff. You know, when, when you're bored and you know you got nothing else to say, hey, did you know? And unfortunately, that's what I do. And people just go, oh, there it goes again. So, um, so a little bit of business here, closing up business. Those are the four films that, that we're announcing right now. Uh, you know, uh, Alien, Stargate, Things to Come, and Godzilla or Gojira. Um, we want you to follow us on, on Facebook, on Twitter, on uh, Red. Actually, we're, we're not on Twitter anymore. We stopped doing Twitter. Uh, because Elon Musk is a putz. Um, and, uh, but we're on Reddit and we're on YouTube. And, we, and this podcast will be on our YouTube channel, uh, YouTube slash something slash Boston Sci-Fi, but you can find it. It's real easy. Um, and uh, we want you to buy tickets for the festival. A lot of good things happening at the festival. We, start, we end with the marathon, but we start off with the Time Traveler's Ball, a costume party celebrating 60 years of Doctor Who. Uh, we have a experiential game right in the on Thursday, which is called Isaac Asimov's Robots. Think Clue, but with a 45-minute film that was done in 1988, and we'll have teams and people will be able to play together. Uh, we have a, you know, we've, we've partnered up with some great people in Davis Square. We're partnered up with the Orleans Restaurant, where we'll be having parties. We partnered up with Kamikaze, where we'll be holding panels in Kamikaze bookstore, comic bookstore. Um, we're having panels at the Burren in the back room at the Burren, the Irish pub. And we're also partnering up with the brand new uh, marijuana dispensary, The Goods, where we'll be doing interviews there. So find out more at bostonsci-fi.com. And Audrey, before we go, uh, why don't you do some shamelessly pimping of what you're doing? Of course. Um, I will be at Sundance in about 10 days. So you can check out my reviews at looper.com. And um, always hit me up. I am still on Twitter. And my handle is the Audrey Fox. So that's me. Well, keep us posted about what you see at uh, Sundance. You know, we're always interested in what's coming out. Um, well, and I want to say thanks to our production crew. Mark Sherwood is the guy behind the screen there doing all the direction. He does a great job. And Irene Leet, who is our producer, who's putting all this stuff together. We want to thank them. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and as Irene says here in my notes, wherever you get your podcast from. Um, our next pad podcast will be in two weeks, and we'll finish up the remainder of the films that will be in the marathon. My name is Garen Daly. Thanks for hearing us today. And by all means, like us, share us, and tell us what we're doing right and tell us what we're doing. And as we close out on this wonderful Boston Sci-Fi Presents podcast, here is our 1919, geez, I'm getting old again, our 2023 festival trailer. Initiating passageways. Welcome travelers, creative and curious. Knowledge and imagination will unlock these portals before you. Between waking and dreaming lies a vast ocean where the mind can wander free.
As you connect in this landscape of past and present, shadow and light, infinite dimensions will emerge. Boston Sci-Fi Film Festival.